Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. For Women's History Month, I'm excited to bring back this classic Masters interview with Lori Harder, a successful entrepreneur who has built three seven-figure businesses. Lori is the founder and CEO of Light Pink, a female-founded and focused beverage company, as well as a best-selling author and popular podcaster. In this interview, Lori shares her passion about blazing trails for the underdog, creating a tribe to support and sustain your journey, living your bliss, finding personal fulfillment, and the power of being vulnerable. Please enjoy this powerful Masters and sign up for our mailing list at mastersbywinclaybaugh.com. You can also find Masters podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Hey everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here. Welcome to this issue of Masters. And I just met this woman face-to-face five minutes ago, but I've been spending the last several weeks getting to know who she is through her podcasts, through her TED Talk. That was pretty incredible. Mm. Good experience. So fun and scary. Oh, it's scary. (laughs) Oh, yeah. To have to nail your message. How how long did they give you? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I had to memorize it. You're like, like, like word for word. Word for word. Like you're an actor in a play. You have to memorize it. That was like a a limiting belief in itself that I had to overcome because I always told myself I didn't have like a good memory. So I went into it with that thought and that fear and, you know. If they give you two (laughs) hours, that's a piece of cake. (laughs) Really? Truly? That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. I bet you put... Hours and hours and hours to yes. get ready. Yeah. It doesn't help that I'm the most non-linear person that I think that I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, you got you. We're already talking, and I haven't even said who you see? are. See, see, yeah. I'm so good at it. I'll distract you from your be intro. This way. I knew that we were going to connect. I'm sitting here with Lori Harder. So, Lori, officially <laughs> welcome to Masters. Thank you so, so much. So good to officially meet you. <laughs> you just finished a, a tour. Was it a, a cruise with Oprah? It was an Oprah Winfrey cruise for her O magazine. Uh-huh. Um, so what she does is she kind of um, puts people on a cruise ship for the experience of creating like adventure in your life, getting you outside of your normal routine. And then she brings on different thought leaders, different speakers, um, different experiences to kind of bring you through the O magazine experience and all the things that she enjoys. Congratulations. Thank you. That was just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. I'm still burning off the cruise food. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, let me let me share. I'm going to read this so uh, our listeners know who, exactly who you are. Uh, Lori Harder is a leader in facilitating transformation through mindfulness, which I can't wait to talk about. My six-year-old daughter has classes in mindfulness. Wow. At her school, like, that's a huge, big part. Like, I've seen her in a stressful situation, yeah. whether it's homework or whatever yeah. and all of a sudden she stops and she sits in a certain pose and she contains herself and she closes her eyes and I'm wow. <laughs> we're sitting there like what are you doing right now I'm pretty sure I just like threw sand or ate sand at that time I don't know like I wasn't mindful at six years old <laughs> no what they taught us was just to not eat the paste that was That's all they right. taught us right. <laughs> now they're taught mindfulness the right exactly Uh, So transformation through mindfulness, fitness, Mm -hmm. and self-love. Lori helps people lock in their transformation by teaching how to create lasting relationships, which I have so many questions on all of this. You're a successful entrepreneur running two seven-figure businesses. 
network marketing professional, number one best-selling author, TEDx speaker, 10-time cover model, three-time fitness world champion, the information that you provide on sustaining wealth, uh, health, spiritual well-being, emotional thriving, that's some pretty powerful stuff Mm -hmm. there. Uh, She is the creator of the Top 100 Earn Your Happy podcast, which I loved. And again, I had a chance to listen to some of that. With over 7 million downloads, you are the founder of The Bliss Project uh, with events for thousands of women that have attended, author of a book called A Tribe Called Bliss, which I'm going to ask you about. You have appeared on the covers and published articles for magazines, including Oxygen Magazine, Strong Fitness Magazine, Marie Claire, Health and Fitness Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. You have been featured on NBC, Fox, OWN, and TLC. So congratulations. Thank you. What does that make you feel when you hear your own bio? You hear all that stuff about yourself. Like we really underestimate what you can do over like a long period of time, but because I look at just short periods of my life and like that seems like, how did I ever do that? But looking back, that was over how many years, you know, just so long to do that. But it also just sounds so like, it doesn't seem real at the same time. Right. Like when people read your bio, doesn't it seem like, wow, that all sounds really great, but that doesn't really summarize a human being's life. No. No. <laughs> so it's really great things. But it was funny as you were reading certain things, you said the 10 time cover model part. And I was like, wow, I was such a different person during that part of my life. And I remember thinking that those covers would bring me fulfillment. And they really didn't. <laughs> it was such an achieving part of my life. So yeah, that's how I was feeling while I was reading that. I thought that was that was an interesting part of my life that I thought would bring me fulfillment, but actually brought me to a place of ultimately understanding what fulfillment actually meant to me, and it wasn't achievement. I want to talk about that, but we have a mutual friend, Patrice Washington. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who Patrice, you know, she says, you know, you read my bio, and yes, I did accomplish all those things. She's like, but those things aren't going to walk in mm-hmm. to my funeral and say, you know, gosh, Patrice kept the house so clean. Yeah. Like that stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> no. You know, it's, it's about this other yeah. stuff that you're now focused on when you talk about the importance of emotional thriving, the importance mm-hmm. of creating lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the stuff that is sustain you and provides that fulfillment that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So the energy that you had to put into mm-hmm. making it to 10 mm-hmm. covers, mm-hmm. H- how do you look back at that and think, why did I do that? Or, or do you look at it as it was just a stepping stone and, mm-hmm. and it was necessary to bring you to mm-hmm. who you are today? Or do you look back and think, gosh, that was just such wasted time and energy to, mm. to put into making it to the cover of a magazine? Mm. No, I needed every single hard lesson that came with each one of those. <laughs> I needed to create discipline, first of all, in my life because I think I came from a background that was so not disciplined as far as just food and health and well-being. Like I had to start understanding how to take care of myself. And the way that I've learned lessons is my pendulum has gone from one extreme of not doing anything to over extremes of doing everything and burning out and then somehow finding the middle of that. So I think that that was the extreme side that I needed to go to to understand, oh, wow, I'm really in this area of, you know, because there were years of my life, like a six year period where 
I was so strict with my routine. I was so strict with my food. I was so strict with, I, I cut out like all association that wasn't towards my goal. I cut out anything that wasn't building towards this dream. And all of a sudden it was like, while I was accomplishing things, I had no balance. I didn't have friends. I was like to the extreme side of health where it was unhealthy. I had cut out so many of the joyful things about eating. I had taken pleasure out of so many different things because I thought that in order to accomplish anything, it must be the opposite of the way I was living. So I never learned the in-between. So I went living in one extreme to the next extreme to realizing that that extreme was like no happier than actually not doing any of the things. Well, which you was said it. It was at point. the expense of joy. Oh, the total expense of joy. Mm-hmm. And although you were in better shape than you've ever been in your entire life, it mm-hmm. affected relationships. Yeah. It affected all kinds of things. Yeah, I had this great body, but it was at home sitting on the couch doing nothing. You know what I mean? Or it was like in the gym or it was, I was always worried about what I was eating and what was going to happen. And I was going to lose the thing that finally gave me the attention that I wanted. Like, that's what I was picturing, is that I finally was getting this attention that I hadn't received growing up or through, you know, not achieving it all and being homeschooled through high school and being um, raised in a a strict religious family. Like, I never got that outside external attention. And I think that if we're not being seen, like, I just never felt seen. And when I finally felt seen, it was for my fitness and for my body. So I Mm -hmm. felt like if I lost that, like, I would disappear. And that was an interesting, Wow, that was a really long journey. We're still going through that journey. I think we all do to some I, extent. I think it's important to own success mm-hmm. yourself before you can then turn around and say, well, I, I own it, but it's not really what it was cracked up to be. Yeah. And, and here's what it really means so that I can now help other people. Yes, totally. And I think that, you know, now the things that I, because I still have really high standards and high goals and I, I want to be a high achiever. But I look at the deeper why and the ultimate outcome of those things. So is this going to be something that I'm really going to enjoy for longer than, let's say, a week or two weeks? Is this something that's really going to bring me, like, am I going to enjoy the journey? And don't get me wrong, there's anything that you take on is going to be challenging, but is it going to be something that ultimately is going to be a challenge that you enjoy at the end of the day? Well, you said that there's a two-week thing. So give us an example of that. Like what's something that you think, I'm going to do this, but is it really going to be lasting beyond two weeks? Therefore, why bother? Mm. I'm not going to do it. Like if I decided right now that I wanted to go create another cover on a magazine, mm-hmm. like that would be a th- maybe a three or four month journey for that all to come into fruition. It'd be super strict. It'd be a lot of outreach. It'd be a lot of relationship building. It'd be so much with the body and the mind along with me running the other businesses right now. Like, because I know that here's something that's crazy is like, you know, we can keep on going after the good because we know we're capable of it. Like that's part of me that I know I can go and create and manifest right now. And it's a good thing in my life, but it's blocking me from my greatness. And I know that, which is, you know, more on the mindset side, maybe more of a certain business that I'm actually thinking of creating right now. But because I know that that's an immediate gratification hit and a lot of attention, that's always something that's shiny for me. I'm just being really honest. Like a little shiny object. Yeah, it's like, oh, I could do this. I could go get this attention. I could go create this thing over here. But it would only be like 
two weeks of gratification, honestly, it doesn't create a lot of momentum in my life. So I think there's always things like that, whether it's on that grand scale, which believe me, it wasn't always like that. But like whether it's something small that you can get that quick hit, like maybe for someone it's another fitness competition or it's another like little business venture within the business they're in, but they know they want to get out of. We always kind of keep getting stuck in the good because it can create that immediate like, oh, I'm doing something, I'm productive, even though it's not in the area that you actually want to be moving. I think there's something to be said for being content. Yeah. Because I know I could kick it into gear Mm -hmm. and double my yearly salary income. Mm -hmm. But at what expense? Yeah. Okay. I know I could do it. And there is a part of me that, and there's people on the sidelines saying, come on, win. Wow, you could do this. Look at that person. You could do what they're doing or better. Mm -hmm. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I could, but it would be at the expense of time with my daughter. Yeah. It would be at the expense of my health and wellness and home life and everything else. And and although I compromised those things, well, I didn't have a daughter before and I didn't have a relationship before. So, mm, huh. What's the story of that about the fisherman who the businessman comes and is trying to convince the fisherman that he can create this huge business and make all this money so that he can basically fish all day like he's already doing? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's that exact thing. It's like, okay, what is this actually creating space for? And for you, I think your ultimate answer from talking to you would probably be more time spent with your daughter and more time spent doing what you love, which you're already already doing, which we can, even for a lot of people, maybe they're not financially where they want to be, but they could actually create more space for the things that they love. So it's interesting because ultimately there is, um, I think looking back after, I will say I feel like I've been on kind of the push of my life the last like seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And looking back, it was so, it was needed and worthwhile. But right now I'm just like really observing how after doing all of that, because I have a really good foundation now, I have a really good sense of who I am and what I'm capable of and what fulfills me. I also know that at this point in my life, more space is going to be more productive for me and bring in more ideas and give me more energy to move forward probably even more than that type of hustle, basically. So meaning create a space even if there's nothing in that space right now. Yeah, then Rather than the hustle of just staying busy with projects that you know you could do. Right. But it's not freeing you up for what's next to come. Absolutely. I just read this great Mm -hmm. article on uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. um, And he talks about how he putters in the morning Mm. and the importance of that. So when he wakes up, he's not looking at his device. He's not checking emails the second he rolls out of bed. And how many people do that? Mm. And and Mm -hmm. what he's doing, he's puttering. That's the exact words that he uses. He's he's making coffee. He's taking care of the dogs. He makes breakfast for his family. He washes the dishes. Mm -hmm. And he said he doesn't get to anything until like 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And just that puttering time is what opens him up for creativity. The, The fact that there's nothing weighing heavy, high IQ decisions and projects and things that he has to work on to run the company. Mm-hmm. Just the puttering with his family creates that space for creativity. Yes, I've actually had to change. So in the beginning, because man, you get addicted. You get so addicted to doing and your self-worth is addicted to doing. And all of a sudden you're like, not doing and let's be really real like I'll jump on Instagram and I'm like oh my god I'm a loser <laughs> like immediately it's just the th- <laughs> they're doing all these things like oh my god so now I've had to like change the wording and also really watch those habits that make me feel that way I'm like 
in this procrastination, there's productivity. So mm. I have to literally start saying things like that so my brain can say, this is actually really productive for me right now to procrastinate and to give myself time. Yeah. Um, and I was just on a walk last night with my husband, which we do a walk every single day together. Um, and I was saying, I said, you know, I've had a lot of open space lately where I've noticed I've been like almost grasping for straws where I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be doing something. I should be doing something. And I keep saying I can feel something happening like just from the space. And oddly enough, I was in SoulCycle yesterday morning and I took a break from SoulCycle. I kind of took a break from a lot of the normal things that I do for about a month. I just took a break from thinking I needed to fill all of this space and I was in soul cycle and all of a sudden just this big idea came, which I, and with the big idea also came this massive sense of connection to source, God, whatever you believe. Like for me, it was, I kind of in the busyness this last year, that connection, even though I'm doing what I love, I haven't felt it as much because I've just been so in the busy right. that where I normally feel really in tune and connected to um, source, I'm like, man, I haven't been feeling that like full on connection lately. And within that space, it was like all of a sudden it just was like, oh, there it is again. And now it's kind of gone again today. But <laughs> but I know the space is telling me within that space, you'll feel the way you want to feel again. And it will be more productive than the doing, doing, doing. So that's the message that's coming. What, what do they right say now. that we're not human doings or human beings? And I think that there's yeah. something to be said about just just being sometimes yeah. I actually went to a, um, a speech about uh, for little kids because yeah. with my daughter I'm always trying to figure out exactly the best way to raise her and, the, and this guy was saying do not over schedule your kids oh yeah he said that there's just something even if she he said that there should be like an hour of nothing going on for them he said even if they're bored it's in that boredom that all of a sudden they have to use their imagination mm -hmm. to create projects or creativity for them rather than you know, there's, you know, swimming mm -hmm. classes and, and martial arts class and piano lessons and tumbling and, yeah. you know, where you hear these parents, I hear these parents at the school where they're, they're basically driving their kid from one lesson to the next lesson mm. to the play date to the, they're so overscheduled. Mm. And we, as a couple, made a decision we're not going to do that with our yeah. daughter. Yeah, I love that because you just brought me back to when I was a kid. I had a lot of downtime, maybe too much, but at the same time, it made me be so creative. Like, I would go up and I had a karaoke machine, big shocker, when I was little, <laughs> and I would just go and sing for hours, like makeup songs and write mm. things and like just imagine what it felt like to be a performer, which now I know is being used in different ways, like mm -hmm. speaking and all those things, but... That's those times to imagine and think of yourself in certain ways and create this like compelling future for yourself even as a kid. Like I can't imagine if it was scheduled all the time. As little kids, we mm -hmm. walked to school. Yeah. It totally. was like, well, it wasn't very far. Yeah. You know, maybe it was six or seven blocks. I mean, my, nowadays, mm -hmm. there's, I would never imagine letting my daughter walk <laughs> yeah. seven blocks to school by herself. But in yes. that seven blocks, there was a thousand little adventures oh my gosh, that totally. we would on our own get to see. So kids <laughs> don't really have that nowadays because yep. for safety reason, I wouldn't allow her to do that. But yeah. we have to create that space. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I, I feel like we need to send out this great message because I know some people are listening to this already. They're, they've checked out. Mm. Oh my God, here's some cover model fitness yes. guru mm -hmm. Who's going to tell me I need to lose weight? Who's going to mm. tell me I need to change my eating habits? And yes, we are probably saying that, but that's not really mm. the purpose of it. And I've heard you say it, and I've heard other mentors say it, that if there's not a physical element to mm. your 
routine of pursuing greatness, then you're not going to be successful in the other areas of your life. And as mm-hmm. much as people don't want to hear that, they have to hear that. Isn't mm-hmm. that, is that true? Oh, I think it's a million percent true because this is the vessel in which carries us through to our goals. It's the body that we're in is the body that hugs our loved ones. It's the body that's going to carry us every single day. It's, I think that it's, it's so associated to my mental health. And I look back on my journey and I, I have days where I say to my husband, I'm like, man, wouldn't it just be so nice if we could be one of those like skinny people who just like, don't ever have to think about food or they can just eat whatever they want. And the second it comes out of my mouth, I say, I'm so blessed that food affects me so quickly and that I put on weight because it keeps me so mentally healthy by really looking at food and saying, you know, is this good for my health? Is this going to make me feel good? Is this something it, it, I love that there is the outcome of something that makes you want to take action in the physical just because for your mental health, I don't know if we'd be taking care of ourselves if we were never affected health-wise, you know? So I think as far as just clarity and showing up who you're supposed to be and being able to get the messages that, you know, I really believe that we're all connected to, I don't know what you believe, but I believe that we're all connected to God and to source. And it's really dependent upon what we're fueling our bodies with, how much we're hearing the messages that we're meant to hear in our life. And I think a lot of people walk around feeling really disconnected or anxious or depressed in all of that, I believe, has to do with the foundation, first of all, of our food and what we're eating, what we're putting in our bodies, and if we're moving, because we're physical beings. Yeah, I've heard you say it many, many times, and I want to, not yet, but I want to ask you about just moving. Yeah. Because you use that word a lot. Mm-hmm. Just move your body, move yeah. your body. So I'm going to get back to that. But okay. do you get a lot of grief, or do you feel like you kind of have to work overtime because... You know, people look at you and they go, oh, God, here she, she's this mm. beautiful, tall, skinny, fit cover model. Mm. And they immediately turn off because of that. Do you feel like you have to work overtime to then get to the real root of mm. the message that you want to deliver to people? First of all, thanks. That's always still to this day weird to hear because if you grew up as a chubby kid, <laughs> you still Which I'm gonna can ask picture you yourself that way. Like I just... I don't see myself that way. Don't get me wrong. I know that I take care of myself, but there's a part of me that always fights against not seeing that. So that's number one. Number two, I know that I'm gifted with breaking down barriers right away because I'm not the person that people think that they see. So right away, I do know that I want to like break that down immediately, like either make someone comfortable or connect with them on a human level or be like, what's the meeting point of you and I? Like meeting them where they're at. So I try to learn and listen to who they are and connect with them quickly. And honestly, I'm at the point in my life where if that's someone's barrier and they still can't see past even after that, that's the work that they have to do. And the work that I have to do is to not take that personal. So, How, how, how do you break those barriers? Do you have any, any secrets or tricks or routines that you use to break those barriers to meet people where they're at so that they can then be open to hear what you have to share? I think to be interested in them is number one and also to be really vulnerable. So if they mention something that they're going through where I can relate at all or if I know someone who can relate, like just trying to connect I think on any human level. But for me to be really vulnerable, so something I do is I'll always share just even where I'm at. If I'm meeting someone for the first time, I'm like, oh my God, I'm really, I'm super anxious in like, in, you know, intimate connections or like when I get in a room full of people, it makes me really nervous. Like I turn into such a weirdo. Just 
kind of being silly, goofy, right. okay. and being so honest with right. where I've come from or tell them where I've come from or whatever that looks like. But I think that I'm I'm so good at just wanting to this has also been an Achilles heel for me. Like I'm a, a major recovering people pleaser, but that also can be a beautiful thing too, because I want to make people comfortable. Hmm. So I immediately want to know where they're at, how they're feeling. If I can be like, Oh, me too. Because I think hmm. that's, um, what is it? C.S. Lewis who says like basically the definition of a friend is like when you can say, Oh, me too. Hmm. Like you just connect with them and you see them and you hear them. So I think that's something that we can always do is be interested and then let them know, how you can relate to that or if you have any skills on comforting them in that moment. Hmm. We're all just a bunch of weirdos walking around. You use feeling that word awkward a lot too when about I was, ourselves. Which I love that word weirdo. I, don't know. <laughs> I love I love that word. A, dir- just... a dork and nerd. Yes. I, I, I just give give me those titles because I wear them proudly now. I do too. Yeah. I love them because I think it shows like that's exactly what we're talking about. Maybe what you see is not at all what's going on. Right. And I just love that because I love that both worlds always are existing at one time. Hmm. I know we walk into a room and people have, whether it's because of our title or the amount of money that we have or yeah. because of how we physically look, people immediately put up their boundaries. Yeah. Their barriers. Like, I can't relate to this person. And it's yeah. our job to do what we can to tear that down and make people feel comfortable. I agree. I totally agree with Some that. Some of the most famous people that I've been around, like um, I'll say Vidal Sassoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the beauty industry, just this famous, famous man. And I've been in rooms where there are a thousand people tugging at his sleeve, mm-hmm. wanting to get his attention. And of course, they all want a picture with him. Yeah. They all want to get his attention. But when he's talking to you, he's talking to you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know what's going on around him. He's just like so, oh, he was so that. focused on who he was talking to. And he was genuinely interested in them. He wasn't talking about his wealth or his awards or he was genuinely interested in asking the person about them. Mm, and it was just that. so disarming. It was mm-hmm, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful way. Just yeah. interested. Yeah, a, a lot of the most interesting people to me are the ones who've made like just that same exact thing. They've made you feel important or interesting. Yeah, I've met some incredible mentors in my life who've just immediately locked in. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. this is like... The most special experience. <laughs> and you almost thought that they would be untouchable. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of what you built up in your mind of, of who they are. And, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about being vulnerable. So mm-hmm. is anything off limits today for no. me to ask you? Okay. No. Because again, listening to your stories and other interviews that you've done, you've got quite a story. So you mentioned you, you grew up overweight as a child. and, and you A chubby this, kid. In okay. the 80s, it was a chubby kid. Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of the dynamic of your family. and. So I'm from Upper Michigan, which is in a really, really tiny town. It's literally about three hours from anything that resembles a city. So really in the woods, which was great growing up for the most part. Um, but I did come from a family who I had always been told that we had bad genetics. Like that was literally just what was told to me. Like, oh, just wait, you'll be fat too. That's what I heard really? growing up. So. Wow. My mom had four sisters, and they're all overweight, and that's literally the story. So this is why this is so important to my story is that it was the story that I heard and the story that I believed that no matter what I did, that I would be overweight, except I wasn't seeing any of the habits 
of someone who was healthy. So when I was actually 14, so my sister had started exercising when she was about 14 and she's four years older than me. And so I started observing that she was, you know, exercising and I would kind of do some of her exercises with her. So I got interested in that at a younger age, but I didn't actually understand that it was my family's habits until the age of 14. So I had gotten invited to another friend's house who was in my religion. So I was allowed to hang out with her, but she lived three hours away. And so if you want other friends outside of your congregation, because there weren't a lot of girls, I had to go to another congregation in the same religion, which was the three hours. So in order to go to her house, I had to stay for a week because that was a long drive for my parents. So this is the first time I went and stayed with someone for a week. So spent a week at her house. Her family was super healthy. They were, like, very, like, three square meals a day. They had a family business. They were, like, really proud of making money. That family business was, like, thriving. Very opposite of where we were at. Like, money was a bit of a, like, a shameful thing in, I guess, just that particular congregation. It was also more looked down upon. Like, uh, your treasures are stored in heaven. It's not about making money. It's about just getting by. So... For that week, it was crazy because I felt really good, and I came home, and I had lost five pounds without even trying, like without even thinking about it, because we were outside every day. We were super active. Um, We were just eating our, like, three meals a day, and I remember the first night I got there, we ate dinner, and it was like, we ate dinner at, like, five o'clock, and it was, like, seven o'clock, and I was like, so where are the snacks? (laughs) And she goes... (laughs) I was, this was routine, right? Right, Snacks. Like I've never not had a snack at seven. And when I say snack, I mean like two bowls of ice cream or like a box of cereal that I sat and ate the whole box of cereal myself. Like it was fat free cereal, but I ate the whole box. You know, you know the drill. Um, So she's like, what do you want? Like, we don't really have snacks. And she's like, we have an apple. And I was like, an apple? (laughs) Like that's like saying spinach, right? Like that's terrible. And so this kind of became more uh, routine through the week, and we just were so busy playing and having fun that I came home, and it's like, you know how once you see something, you can't unsee it? You were exposed. I went back, and I, I hadn't even shared this with my family until, I mean, probably this last year. It was like, I went back, and I remember thinking, I couldn't unsee it. Like, I couldn't. I started pulling away from my family at that point because I would, after dinner, I would go on long bike rides. I'd go on long walks. I had figured out that this lifestyle was what was making me feel miserable because I was really anxious and depressed as a teenager, really anxious and depressed. So that was it for me. And I, it's one of the hardest things to tell people. And it's why I wrote the book about, you know, your tribes and who you're surrounded by, because that was the moment of, oh my God, it's my family. Wow. And that was incredibly hard, especially when you're in a religion that mm-hmm. says, if you're not in this religion, you're actually out of everything. So I led a very isolated life after that. Everything was alone, but started you know, walking, working out, doing things like that, but also very isolated. So it was what interesting. A, what a strong message on that, because I'm sure people listening to this, I mean, I can relate to that. Yeah. That if you break out of your family so to speak yeah that's almost like you know a sin punishable beyond anything oh yeah i'm still being punished by some of them right. <laughs> to yeah. this day which well. is and i love them i'm in a peaceful place over that mm-hmm. but i will tell you i've spent a solid 10 years on making peace with letting it be okay that it's not okay right that's an interesting place well yeah 
it can come back. You tell a story, and I, I apologize if I'm asking you to repeat stories, but I have a feeling you, you tell these no, stories all I'm the great. time. <laughs> I, I, I always say this, that I think that the best teachers are storytellers, mm. and the best stories that we tell are our own stories. Yeah. We tell stories of other people, of our mentors and our heroes, and, and those are very valuable as well. But when we can, and you were saying it earlier about being able to help people relate to you and break down those barriers that you're vulnerable and you tell these stories. Mm-hmm. You, so you tell a story about a, uh, a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Do you mind mm-hmm. sharing that? No. I So back in Marquette, Michigan, <laughs> I had gone to a, there was like a swim party basically because we didn't celebrate holidays. So we would get together and create like just little different parties. So this was just a, a swim gathering And I think I was 11 years old at this time, and it was with a group of friends who were all at the time, like, I thought these were my people. (laughs) These were my friends. Like, I had two girlfriends who I had grown up with in that church, and then there was a bunch of boys, and there was one particular boy who was, like, my, this was my future husband. Okay. For real. For sure. Like, (laughs) I was one of those little girls who was just, like... So I this was my husband, like I had our future planned. At like, eleven, you got 11, this. Eleven. This right. was the boy of my dreams, like obsessed. And so we go to the pool and at this at this point, I was pretty clear that while I wasn't like a really overweight kid, I was not skinny like my friends. I was always the girl who sometimes people would poke fun or say chubby or just little, you know, even even my dad and we talk about this openly, like he'd be like, you need to lose a little weight, like you're getting chubby. But he grew up in an orphanage, like that was his loving way to be like, hey, I love you, lose some weight. And we were all, (laughs) now I'm like, why did you say that? And he still said to me last year, he goes, I was trying to help you, you were chubby. Oh my, thanks, Dad. Okay, Dad, awesome. I'm like, there's a better way, but that's okay. We're not, we can't fix this. Okay. So I was at this pool party, and I remember at this point in my life, like, I was so, I remember being such a bright light. I don't know if you can remember that time in your childhood where you were just like, like, you couldn't be dimmed. Like, you were, I was just the performer of the family. I was always after dinner, I was like, let's go watch me sing. Let's go watch me dance. Let's go. And they were like, oh, my God. Like, we can't watch you do anything else. And this was so me up until this point. And I was always the person who wanted to make people laugh. Always the person who just wanted to make people feel really good. And so I remember going in with that feeling of like, oh, I can't wait to show these people what I can do on this diving board. Like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> Legitimately, walking down the diving board, like, they're going to be so impressed with my skills. I can't wait for my future husband to see this. And I walked to the edge of the diving board, and I remember hearing them yell something. And for one moment, I thought they were yelling something nice, and it just came clear across that they were all, even even my friends and my girlfriends, were yelling whale. 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 And it was just like this moment in time where I just felt what shame felt like for the first time, like complete shame of myself and being in my body. And also in the equal moment of shame, I felt so stupid, like so foolish. You know that feeling where you think Mm. that you're something and then all of a sudden someone comes in and tells you that you're actually not what you think? And it was, wow, is that an analogy for life now or what? Like, Mm -hmm. and I remember just thinking, get in the water, like jump in the water as fast as you possibly can. And I went under the water and I just like this whale, no pun intended, but just this sob came out of my mouth and I can still hear it to this day. And I remember the bubbles just rushing past my face. You know, when you go underwater and it's just like this 
it was just was completely surreal of I don't want to come up like 11 years old thinking to yourself I don't want to come up I don't want to come up because every person that I thought that I loved like my world was just telling me that I was something that I didn't think that I was a whale that I was shameful or that I was someone they wouldn't want to be around obviously whatever whale signifies and I came up and I went to the edge of the pool and I remember thinking like right before I came up like just wait I'll show you that was so the thought flipped from you know being in so much pain to just wait I'll show you Hmm. and I've had a couple people ask me about that story say well isn't that like a bad place to come from like the just wait I'll show you like a very like like spite you know and like anger and I thought Honestly, I think anger is a step up from the initial feeling. And I think that anger is like a beautiful place to start working through whatever it is. And it can be a huge motivator. Anger and pain, I think, is one of our biggest motivators in the world. Oh, yeah. So I'm like so grateful that I, I mean, that pulled me through to my 20s. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Just that, not necessarily that saying, whale, but that feeling of I will never let this experience happened to me again and it just really started from there of like wanting to figure out what that looked like so when I said like yes it was 14 that was a major turning point of realization it was at that moment though of like who am I and what do I need to do to like move through this and it was just years of trying to figure that out I think it's Tony Robbins that says that we are motivated through inspiration or desperation Mm -hmm. so desperation i.e anger fear it's it's a motivator yeah. but oh at least gosh. you're motivated uh, at least you're you're ready to do something something has to change yeah the good news about that story is that while you were underwater feeling the desperation and the anger and the shame and everything that you were feeling at that same moment came the light of yeah. i'll show you mm-hmm. i'll show them so mm-hmm. it, thankfully you weren't left with I'm shameful and I'll be shameful the rest of my life. I mean, it combated that for sure. So that's something I want to point out is like there's simultaneous thoughts, I think, going on in our head all the time. But it's which one are you feeding the most and which one are you allowing to get louder? Um, So for me, while there was a lot of moments in front of the mirror, especially as a little girl who feels that way, like shame around your body. But it was always like stepping away from that and trying to make the other voice louder of... Um, you know what also came in at that time was they just can't see it yet. And I've actually kind of clung to that sentence of they just, because even now I'll have moments where I'm turned down over and over and over again. I'm like, that's okay. They just can't see it yet. But the important thing is, is that I can and that I keep on doing what I can do around that. So that's been a powerful sentence. That's a great way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. People will say, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Which is actually the opposite of what it should be. Yeah. You'll see it once you first believe it. It's Amen. So like what you're saying, you Mm -hmm. believe it yourself. They just don't see it yet. Yeah, totally. Wow. Mm -hmm. So our good friend, Tim Story. Yeah. Who I love. And he was so excited that uh, I was going to be interviewing you today. So he's actually sent some things to, for me to ask you about. Mm. Um, so he says, why a tribe called bliss? Mm. I love the word bliss anyway. So it's, it's one of those words that just, Oh, bliss is such a good word. And uh-huh. and I love bliss because it's bliss is to me. So by your own definition, like it's to me, the bliss is the journey to bliss is what I've now realized. Like it's not a thing. What, what do, it's what do you not mean a place. That? Bliss is finding joy in the journey every day. Bliss is making a really good day. So it's not a location. It's not a destination. I've it's been not... to all of them. Okay. <laughs> 
You've been to Literally, the Bliss, the bliss City, I've been the to bliss, bliss Capital. Spa, I've been the to Capital of Bliss. I've been in it. I've seen right. it. Like especially coming <laughs> from like nothing and experiencing a life beyond my wildest dreams. Like I've really mm. co- accomplished. While there's still many things I want to accomplish. I got to the top of what I thought was the top for my lifetime. Does that make sense? Like, I just really did not have So it was the three-time yeah. fitness world champion, the ten-time cover model, as those things. and That was the top of where I thought I could get. And right. I just, that still wasn't it. Okay. But the journey along there was so beautiful looking back. Wow. And it's like, it was the people I met. It was those, like, moments of, like... You know, when you get that clarity that you're on the right path or those tiny little like God winks or those people who just randomly come up to you and deliver you a message you've been waiting for. And you're Mm. like, what? Like that, all of that. And there's even more magic to be had every single day. If you can start looking at every single person has a message for you. Every Mm. single moment has a lesson for you. Like you can turn your life into a game. And I think the happiest people are the people who literally look for magic in every single Mm. moment. I swear you and I scripted each other. That, those are the exact words that we use in our oh. company is how are we going to create magic today? Oh, I love that. Literally. That's yeah. a dialogue in every single, what are we going to do to create magic today? Oh my goodness. I love that. And we I, have create magic activity books. That's amazing. Okay. I need to, I need to get in, in on that one. <laughs> like, like simple things of, of, yeah. you know, kindness acts. Yes. And, Celebrate the birthday of somebody that's not in your department. And yes. I mean, just it'll wear a silly hat to work today. And we make them documented. So they have to take a picture of them in the silly hat. Yes. Like just simple things that that's, supposedly don't mean much, but... Make them mean much. Exactly. Yeah, like the only thing that mean anything are the things we make meaning out of. Like it's literally taking moments to make bigger meaning out of things and take away less meaning from the things that are causing you pain. Which would be what for you on, on that list? Ugh, um, man, I do a lot of really good work around this, so let me see if I can bring one up. Um, oh, yeah, taking things personal, like what people say on social media or what people say around, you know, maybe they didn't like something you said on a book or a podcast or maybe someone in your life is taking something personal because, you know, something that's been coming up for me is like, I meet so many incredible people and there's a lot of amazing people in my life, but there's not a lot of time for everybody. So there are some people in your life who you will never be enough for and there will never be enough time and like letting Mm. that be okay, that you'll never be enough for that person. Like you'll never be enough for the people that you're not already enough for. And looking at that situation and saying, can I make peace with them not thinking that I am there enough, loving enough, caring enough. Like if I truly think I'm going all in on whatever that looks like for me, making peace with their side being, you know, that's their thing. That's their own. Especially since you said that you're a self-proclaimed recovering people pleaser. Oh, yes. That's so you want to be enough for them. You yeah. want to, which means now you're over delivering of what you're not even capable of delivering. And then I'm miserable and right. then I'm resentful. And even, and it wouldn't matter how much I did because for that particular person, it it's never, never enough. enough anyway. So does that mean that you are, are you shrinking your circle? I kind of feel like I am shrinking my circle lately, which actually feels really good and equally challenging 
I'm trying to do less this year. Like, instead of doing a to-do list, I'm actually doing, like, a not-to-do list this year. <laughs> oh, have you seen my book? Look at this. I need yes. to write down, do not do this, yes. and then check it. I didn't do it. Check. Yes, good for you. You didn't do it. See, that would be me. That's what, that's what I would need to do. Yeah, that's my this year plan. Like, what do I want to stop doing this well, year? One of my new favorite quotes is actually by Oprah. It says, everybody wants to ride in the limo with you. Mm. The friend that you need is the one who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. Yes. <laughs> and I've had times recently where my limo broke down mm. and people disappeared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to find your bus friends. that circle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of people have kind of put areas of their lives on hold because of the physical side. Mm. Like I will be successful and happy and find the person of my dreams or I'll fix my marriage or I'll get the raise or I'll get the promotion, but it won't be until physically I change this about myself. I think a lot of people are doing that without knowing they're doing it. I think they're waiting to be happy for when their body changes or for when they decide to take it on. And they are thinking that that's when they'll be happy. Like, they're not even necessarily waiting in their life. They're just waiting to be happy before even taking anything on. But the main thing is like, well, if I achieve that, that'll make me happy. And this can be anything. It can be body. It can be anything. It can be an accomplishment. Well, you did that. Yeah, totally. So what's your message to those people then? Well, you're sort of saying it already that that bliss is not a destination. It's the journey. It's... Okay, so you're on this journey towards yep. a better physical person. Yes, I'll tell you exactly. Have, enjoy the, find the bliss along the way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. I was interviewing this guy named Gerard Adams yesterday, and he's amazing. He's like, uh, basically like a millennial mentor. He's a huge YouTuber and just a brilliant guy, like made his first million at like 24 or something like that. And he was talking about so much about what he learned was about, you know, following your purpose and money chases purpose. And I loved that because it's normally like we're always chasing money and trying right. to find our purpose with it. And he's like, money chases purpose. Like if you are the best at what you love doing, like you can't help but figure out a way to make money or have money come to you and it finds you. And I thought, man, that's been so true for me when I've just really focused in on what I'm really good at. And it's the same exact way with bliss. Like chase a good day and making yourself happy and making yourself feel connected to people. And I think the body follows that hmm. because you're content. You're not eating that because you're bored. You're not eating because you're stressed. You're not eating because you're anxious. You're not falling apart because your body has so much stress in it. You're not not wanting to move. You're not not leaving your house. Like you're doing all of the things that make a human happy. So you're moving your body. You're probably walking. You're probably hiking. You're probably living in your purpose and you're doing art or you're listening to music or you're going and you're connecting with people. You're busy with, with your kids. You're doing the things that bring you joy stuff. and bliss. Yes, you get so busy in the good stuff that you can't, like, the other stuff just naturally fills in. You naturally say, oh, I'm hungry. Like, let's go eat something. And you want to eat something somewhat healthy because you're happy. Mm. You know, so you, you start making these other decisions. But from a place of happiness, you make a far different decision than a place of depression and boredom. Got it. Like, when I'm depressed and bored, my habits are like, I am numbing. Your eating habits, your lack of movement... 
I'm eating to numb, like to okay. not feel. Okay. And if I'm happy, I'm eating to feel more. Like I'm Does, eating to Is feel happiness something that you have to work at all the time? Or does it come natural to you? I think for a lot of people it's very different. For my husband it comes really natural. For me it does not. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I have to work at it. I have to work hard every day. at it. Mm-hmm. Every day. Every, it's like every night I go to bed and mm-hmm. I get like spiritual amnesia for real. I wake up, I can be like, oh, this day is so great. I go to sleep, I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I forgot who I was yesterday. It's like, have, have you ever seen 50 First Dates with Adam yeah, Sandler? Yes, I did. I literally right. feel like I need a VHS tape to put in to remind me of who I was yesterday and what I did and, oh, like, what funny. made me happy and what made me, like, feel really good about How my How do life. you remind yourself? I mean, do you journal? Is it your husband that reminds you that you are this person? Is yeah, you surrounded by the right people? Is all it? of the things. Okay. It's all of it's the all things of the through the years. It's not one thing. It's not one thing. One yeah. thing never fixes it for me. Right. It's all the things. It's in the morning. I start with a mantra. I say I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday. Wait, say it again. I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, and more fit than I was yesterday. And that makes me, all that sentence does is it makes me remind myself that I choose. I'm like, you can choose how you want to feel today. So that sentence just says, do you want to feel the sentence? Do you want to pick today? Or are you going to just wake up and feel like crap? And then I go downstairs and we do pages before swipes. So meaning reading before anything on our phone, even if it's five minutes. Like I want to be reading something and choosing how my day goes before I look at my phone. Got it. Um, And then I'm always trying to meditate, whether it's three minutes or 15 minutes. But that's kind of, I will literally set it for three minutes just to like try to stay in motion of that routine and from there I go move my body and then I try to do something I'm really trying this year to do something that's fun for me though like through the week or at least every other week because fun is like I got away from fun thinking that I think that I had to be serious to be successful and um, that couldn't be more untrue for me well I've heard you say you're you're naturally serious and intense and kind of extreme yes I can be that way but the thing is is like one of my Number one core values is fun. So that's really funny that I can be so extreme and so intense, but I also, like, my main thing is, like, I want to have fun. I want to be funny. I want to be silly. So I have to work for that. Like, I have to work that in, and that's where when I am going for that, that's when everything else follows. Hmm. Like, when I'm in that mode, my team is happy. Things are great. See, like, we're I t- planning I totally fun relate stuff. to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to have fun. Yeah. Like when things, because I I'm naturally intense too, mm-hmm. so I need I, I do everything I can to escape that. Yeah. So like even like st- a staff meeting has got to be fun. Yes, totally. It's no, it's not a bitch session. You don't get to <laughs> sit, raise your hand and complain about everything that's going on around mm-hmm. here. You know, it's it's got to be fun. Yeah, I love so that. So we can still get to the intense stuff and stuff that's necessary to address and stuff, but let's do it in a way that's fun and productive. Yeah, if it has to be there, because that's right. something that I've learned is like. The serious stuff or the hard stuff doesn't actually have to be super hard and serious because it's a part of life. It's a natural part of life. And I think that when we accept like, oh, this is actually something that comes up every single day or every single week. So why not actually just look at it like this is such a normal thing? I think it's in the resistance of that that creates a lot of pain. So tell us about this book, A Tribe Called Bliss. So... This book is all about creating deeper connections faster. Part of it came out of me wanting friendships, but thinking that I didn't have time for friendships because I think I told you there was that period where I did so much alone, thinking that if I wanted to get anything done or become the person I wanted to become, 
I had to leave behind certain people. Or well, being not a cover model certain. isn't a team activity. It's so. definitely not a team activity. No, absolutely <laughs> right, not. Okay. And I had never learned team activities. You know, growing, I never even understood that it was a thing or that it could be a great thing. Um, and in fitness, that was even worse because they kind of pit you against each other. So when I decided to write this book, it was after a period of my life where I had discovered the power of friendship, the power of connection, the power of tribe, the power of masterminding in business and in life. And so it was about four years into an experience where I had connected with two other women who were total strangers with me. And we were all kind of feeling the same way, like really lonely, disconnected entrepreneurs who were really successful, but really lonely. And also felt like we've reached our max for where we could go on our own, but wanted to go further. So what happened is we started connecting and we had all been familiar with this term masterminding, which was actually a very masculine term that like businessmen that we knew were using and they were connecting like once every other week for an hour to talk about business. Well, we thought, what if we connected once every other week for one hour in a really structured way and we talked about life and business and how we could support each other in life and in business. So 20 minutes each. And we've done this every other week for four years now, over that now. Physically you're getting together or is it This Skype for us or? is on like Skype. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we get together when we can, like okay. a few times a year. And it has been absolutely game changing for us. Like what comes up is it turned into the most vulnerable, beautiful space to learn how to celebrate the huge wins, to talk about the most vulnerable things that we've ever talked about. You know, things that sometimes I don't even talk to my husband with, like have been in this group because it's just become this super sacred space for me. Um, And the structure alone has proven to me like, you don't have to be too busy. You don't have to have these massive expectations on people. Um, And that's another thing is the book has in there in the there's three sections and in section two is all about the seven sacred agreements and it's basically like teaching you how to navigate how to be the best version of yourself within a relationship so that you're not taking anything personal yours there's no gossip you know how to set boundaries you know how to talk about your boundaries you know how to have the tough conversations I literally put scripts in the book because I just don't think that People, and I want to also just say women, are not having these tough conversations with their friends because there's nothing keeping us together. Like, in marriage, there's a ring. You know, in friendship, it's like, oh, you offended me, bye. I'm not talking about it. I unfriend you. Yeah. I I click a button and and, and I, right. Yeah, don't tell them how you're feeling. Like, And, you know, it's such a thing for people to just not tell you how they're feeling. Like, oh, I'm just going to stop talking to you. Like, we're never getting past where we want to go in friendship so we never feel supported and we're feeling lonely and we're feeling disconnected and it's because we haven't seen it and we don't have the tools. It's like reteaching the tools of kind of like humaning right. <laughs> in friendship. So it like, goes really deep on I that. I like the word tribe. Yeah. And I like the word bliss and you put them in the same, <laughs> same title for your book. So, so you said the second section of the book includes these seven agreements and, yeah. and no gossip is one of those. Yeah. What are the other ones? Um, we have uh, always be your own guru talking about how really the... Be your own guru. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? 
I mean that, you know, there's this beautiful quote by Wayne Dyer that says, when you trust in yourself, you trust in the very source that created you. And I just think that's the most beautiful quote because sometimes we can get really lost in listening to outside voices within relationships. And I think that our friends and all the people in our life and mentors are beautiful guides. But I think that when we get quiet and we get still and we create that space, we can always take all of that info and check in and know. I like to try to teach people to tune into the voice of knowing inside of them. And if people right now are like, I don't know how to hear that voice, I just want to refer back to a time in your life when maybe you've said something like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Or, oh, I knew that was going to happen. We always know. Like, we always know. So it's saying, how did you know? And write down how you actually knew. Did you feel it in your solar plexus? Did you hear a quick voice? Did you feel it in your body? Like, that thing is always there for you. And I'm telling you, when I've tuned into that voice, that's when I know I'm like, oh, that came from that place. I need to follow that and block everything else out. Otherwise, what happens is I go, oh, and then I look on social media or I look at what this woman's doing in her business and I say, oh, I want that result, except it didn't light me up on how she got there. So you, you turned down the volume yes. on your own inner voice. Yep. You knew the answer. No, I always It's amazing what we do to silence that voice. Oh, yeah. Again, through the bad habits that we have. Yes. Or just, just chatter. Just mm -hmm. chatter. Oh my God! There's I, so much chatter I say to an audience that you world. know you know more about the Kardashians than you know about the latest research in breast cancer. Yes, yes, so true. Like mm -hmm. what really matters? Oh my God! There's just so much, and it's and they make it so shiny in like every moment, and it's so easy. I mean, it's easy for me to do, and I'm like I love my rituals, and I'm like always one decision away from like having a bad day. <laughs> it's like I can just be like. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes a lot, but I but I like what you said. You the uh, the, the rituals. Yeah. You know, my, mm -hmm. like um, again, Jeff Bezos called it puttering, but I have yeah. my little rituals, and they are it's puttering. Totally. It's, They're it's, powerful. I'm up at, I set my alarm at four thirty because that's I, I have at least a good hour. Yeah. Of I'm by myself, except mm. for one fifteen year old dog that now I have to carry down the stairs oh. to make sure that he goes oh. pee and poop where he needs doggies. to. You know, so yeah. that's. But that's, you know, part of the ritual and yeah. there's just little rituals and it's, it's rare that I even get to a device that mm -hmm. I even get oh, to. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. The noise. But it, without noise those maker. rituals, <laughs> I'm not then functioning yeah. at my best. So. That's what a phone should be called, a noise maker. A noise maker. <laughs> okay, so seven agreements, no gossip, be your own guru. What are some of the other ones that you put in um, there? Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Oh, yeah. Mm. Have you? I mean, that one was based off of the four agreements because right. it affected my book. life so much. I, I'm That's the theme for me this year uh, because I want to, I think for anyone to become more them, which is the most powerful thing we can do, I think is you just, you have to care less. <laughs> like you have to care more about the things that matter the most mm. to you and care less about everything else. Mm. Like we were not meant to know everything and be concerned with everything. And I say, be concerned with the things where you know you can help and actually make impact and make a difference. And I'm not saying to be like mindless, but I'm saying be really aware of where you can actually put your energy and make a difference. Because by caring too much, 
you actually don't do anything. Hmm. I know so many people who are worry so much and are stressed about this or that, but they actually have no energy to do anything because hmm. they're so stressed out or they're so upset or they're so concerned about different things. It's the people who have gotten really clear on what they care about. They put their energy there and then they can go focus on something else. So, well, then how do you balance social media? Because I'm sure you're proud of the fact that your happy podcast has had 7 million downloads mm-hmm. and I know that you want to build your Instagram following. Mm-hmm. How do you balance between yeah. being active with social media yeah. yet at the same time realizing that it has its purpose but it certainly is not the driving force in your life? This is a huge As it is one for, for me. so many people. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I had a conversation a couple of days ago. Yeah about social media with this man and his 12-year-old daughters and just oh, the man. damn like and I was like at 12 you're dealing with this he says oh yeah I can't imagine I can't I, I know imagine? how it's affecting me as a 37-year-old woman and I'm like have the tools right you know so I cannot even begin to imagine actually it's kind of a scary thing for me to think about children with that well my daughter but, she'll be 30 when she gets a phone right so. right so you're going to keep her first her date is chained at 40. up in a basement <laughs> Great, great. You're going to buy an island. Uh Um, This is always a balance for me because there are points where I, like when my book was released, I had to be tied to my phone, like to be pushing it out in the way that I wanted. And I knew that that was going to be a push point. But there was a point where I was like, this is it. Phone is like, I'm detaching. These are my hours. This is what it looks like. So for me, I literally, at the end of the night, I'll put it down and put it away. Like, I mm-hmm. actually remove it from the room. And right. I watch my habits. Like, I watch my hand want to grab it. I watch my brain try to... Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, I watch mm-hmm. the addiction come in. It's a total addiction. But now I'll place it in other spots. I'll put it in the room. And I just... For me, it's so much better to be off of it. Because I notice mm-hmm. that when I'm on it... Like, sometimes it's really great. And I feel good. And I love putting up quotes. And I love answering messages. But other times it's really, I will notice comparison comes in immediately for me. Mm. So I've gotten pretty good with like putting hours down. What do you mean comparisons? Like you compare yourself to other people oh, and yeah. following other people. and Oh, right, yeah. Right. I'm like, oh, she wrote another book? I should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I should write a she book. She has again. 11 covers? So yeah. I only have 10? <laughs> Wait, what? And I mean, just that simple thought of, oh, like, you know, when you were happy in that moment. When you were already happy in that moment, and we pick something up to disrupt the moment. This might be a tough question, but what are some of the the challenges or downfalls that women are having with each other? Do you feel like Mm. they're they're not supportive of each other enough? They're not having the conversations enough? They're not... I think this is a beautiful question, because I was just on the road basically all year, or for half a year having this conversation because that's what the the book is female centric like it's focused with a woman's voice towards them while it applies to men too it really I'm speaking mostly to women because of a lot of the things that tend to come up with women so being in a room I always start the room with why are you afraid to connect I ask this and have them shout it out so rooms of hundreds of women throughout all these cities I'm like why were you afraid to have deep connections with other women. And like the first answers are kind of nice and they're like, oh, fear and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, come on, let's get really real. Like, why are you actually afraid? And they're like, gossip, backstabbing, taking your man, um, taking your job, uh, comparison, jealousy, um, pain, like devious. Like it just all comes out. And I'm like, oh, 
Like we're really, and it's like the voice gets painful. So then what we move into is really talking about what caused that. Like what story are you still carrying that you're projecting forward on every woman that you meet? And of course you're going to, <laughs> you know, that happened with Tiffany, but they meet Mary and Mary's already this person who's going to, you know, because take she's job blonde because, and skinny exactly. and pretty. Therefore we're just transferring all onto to yeah. Honda. We're bringing, you know, we're right. meeting one person, but we're actually meeting the 5,000 people that they've already had interactions with in their life. And we need to be more gentle with each other and with ourselves with that. And also be more upfront in our conversations. Like we're not saying our expectations from the beginning, like being more upfront in what we actually want out of this relationship and what we're actually looking for and being more vulnerable from the beginning, maybe sharing like, you know, and it, I'm not saying this is like on the first date, but you can do this more towards the beginning. Like, you know, I've been hurt by women before, but what I'm really looking for is a more supportive relationship to talk through hard times that come up, to be more committed in a relationship, to be more supportive in X, Y, and Z area, you know, time-wise, it would look like this for me because I know we're all busy. So it's like actually having real conversations that are hard. Hence your seven agreements. Yes. So like, we're, we're going to be friends. We just met. We're going to be friends. And yeah. for this friendship to last and flourish, we're not going to gossip. Right. You know, we're going to be our own guru. So you've totally. spelled it out for people. Totally. And I loved it that you almost said it apologizing that you put scripts in the book. I love that. Mm. You help people script it out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, I went back to my, when I very first got a sales job, I didn't know how to sell or close people. And a relationship is closing someone, <laughs> isn't it? it. Like, yeah. it's like learning how to close someone without being creepy or like pushy. Right. And friendship is the same exact way. You can't be like, let's be friends and it's going to look like this and come to coffee with me. Like, you have to let people know what they're getting into. Right. I think you said it. You each agree to have each other's back. Yeah. To walk through things side by side together. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you find that some women will abandon friendships mm. because they now have a man in their life. Mm. And, I, and I don't mean it to be mm -hmm. that cut and dry because it's men will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. But you, you don't view your husband as the end all, the person who's supposed to fulfill every single one of your needs mm. and vice versa. Mm, and I, and I heard you question. say that. So I, one of the other agreements is release expectations. Mm. <laughs> and... This was powerful for me because when I first married my husband, because I hadn't had a lot of girlfriends. In, if I did, they weren't good girlfriends. So when I met my husband, he was my best friend. Like, we were inseparable. And what ended up happening, though, is I put all the expectation of him being my best friend on him. So mm. when he didn't want to, when I first really started getting into self-development and meditation and you know, even into fitness, different fitness things, because he was really, when I met him, he was more his main thing was like business. So anything business, right? And I'm trying to throw all this fitness stuff and the spirituality and meditation. And that's just a lot like for someone who... <laughs> Poor guy, jeez. Yeah. So I was like, why can't he be this for me too? Like, why can't he be interested in this and that? And so I had this expectation on him that I was like, okay, well, is this a great partner for me if he can't be all things to me? And I know that the more that I've talked about this in public, the more people are sharing with me that they have this expectation on their partner too, like especially as they get into the self-development world and finding it even more. Like 
why won't he or she go to this all these events with me? Why won't they go on this retreat? Why won't they go into this deep meditation thing with me or do, you know, why don't they want to do X, Y, and Z or this new thing or support this new, you know, adventure I'm going on? And while that's all beautiful and the support is great, it's awesome when they do come along, you need to find the people and create the tribes who are for that side of your life. And what happens is when we release the expectation of them being everything, they can actually play the role they're meant to play in a really strong, powerful way. So we're expecting our lead character to be like the supporting cast, to be, um, you know, the producer, to be the person who's like doing everything behind the scenes too. When if that main character doesn't have all of that support, they're never going to shine in the role that they're meant to. So maybe, you know, for my husband, like he's truly just my rock. Like he is that grounded person that I can bring everything back to. And when I am like up here in the atmosphere, he's like down on the ground and he's got me. Like he's got Mm. life for us. So that's been a powerful thing for me to realize is, wow, it's really powerful for me to be able to go fly around without him and have him back down holding things down. But he doesn't have to be the person who goes to see Broadway musicals with you. No. And now the funny thing is, is now I invite him along and he'll come to half the things, you know? And that's been so awesome for me because... I think just letting him not letting him know he doesn't have to be that person, he's been more interested to be that person. And before you'd be upset at him and because he didn't, he want, didn't to. want to say yeah. yes to everything. Yeah, and then there was a lot of resistance there because he was just like, then he would take the stance of like, you know, the stubborn would come in because I'd be coming at it from a different way. Yeah. So then he'd be like, I'm not going to any of them. Like, why bother? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Wow. So when you, um, I just had this woman named Dr. Erin Haskell on and she had said something beautiful. It's like, When you do your own work, everyone else changes. Like, Mm. (laughs) everyone else starts just showing up in the way they're meant to. And I thought, it's so beautiful. Like, just get focused on your own work. Like, just Mm. do your own work and keep your work on your side of the fence. And it's amazing what happens. So how many tribes do you belong to? Like, you, so you have a, a fitness tribe, you have mm-hmm. a, a business tribe, you have a girlfriend tribe. Totally. You have So how many tribes do you belong to, would you? Well, now I wouldn't, now it's like I have that very specific tribe that is built off the book. It's very much structured. It's exactly what I said. It's an hour every other week in the, you know, Wednesday morning right now. And we're structured. It's 20 minutes. We're opening with a prayer and a meditation. It's like 20 minutes for each person. We're going through stuff. Um, that's that particular like mastermind tribe. Um, and that's what I encourage in the book to begin with, because I think it shows you what's possible for your life. Because now the way that I show up there has taught me that I can like create more not so structured tribes within my life, but I understand the conversation and the boundaries and, you know, where these people fit. So yeah, I have people that I do fitness stuff with that aren't going to be, you know, coming to my holiday parties. Like they're just my people I see at workouts. Like, and that's awesome. That's what we have in common. And I can let it be that. I think for a lot of people pleasers or people who want people to love them, or just, I find this with a lot of women, like we want to carry people through our lives, our whole lives. Like if we like them, we're like, they have to be a part of my everything. They have to be my friend in this and that and come to everything. And I'm like, no, oh my God, you're going to exhaust yourself. So And exhaust my, them. Exhaust them. Yeah, right. they can just let it. Because they got other tribes that they oh belong God. to too. Totally. I'll observe right. myself being at a fitness class wanting to invite people. And I'm like, you know what, Lori, just let it stay here. Go home, let it stay here. Like, it's okay. Like, I'll observe that all the time because I love people. I love people. I'm like, it's okay. Like, if your paths cross, it's great, but... 
you got a lot of friends. <laughs> so, and this is so, isn't this so funny to hear from someone who just like did not know. have this any is friends? Just so me too. It's so crazy. Like, <laughs> my husband just gets so crazy with me. Mm. You know, we're gonna go on vacation to our favorite spot, and I'm like, oh my gosh, let's invite this person and <laughs> yes. this person. He said, he's like, why can't it just be us? Why yeah. can't like. It's because like he knows that I love it so much, mm-hmm. and I want everybody else to experience that as well. Right. Where it doesn't always have to be that, right? Like where it, it can shouldn't just be your experience, be that, right? <laughs> wow. So, actually, Tim's story wanted me to ask you this question. You put yourself up on that pedestal. People put you up on that pedestal as mm-hmm. well, but you also put yourself up on that pedestal of a good marriage and a fitness and a wellness mm-hmm. and mindfulness and self love and everything. It's a lot of pressure. Mm. So what does your personal journey look like to stay focused in those different areas of your life? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I want to say I'll be the first person to take myself off of that. Like, I literally will because I'm super aware that I am, like, we're all just one decision away from not being that person. Like, every single day and every single moment. And I think I like to walk into rooms and say I'm not perfect at all. Like, I actually love to point out a lot of my flaws right away. <laughs> like, almost almost some people say I'm too self-deprecating, but I also want to be the first person to be so human that says, like, I have to work for all of that. Well, you are on that. You're part of the Oprah cruise, of course. Yeah. People got you on that pedestal and they haven't even met you yet. Yeah, which is And just then so... they see what you look like and then it's like, oh my gosh, a higher pedestal. Oh my gosh. It's so, see, this is so weird to even hear because I think that I, in my everyday life, I'm in, you know, like workout clothes and no makeup and I sit at home and I'm like, wow, this is so glamorous, but it's, (laughs) and they see you in these small moments. But as far as putting yourself on a pedestal, like I truly don't, how do I not see myself that way? Let me think of that so I can actually share that. Um, God, I just, I struggle every day. So I guess I don't, I literally, every single day for me is a struggle, which is why I do what I do. It's why I podcast and I share that all the time Mm. is because I'm always struggling with trying to find the motivation to go to the workout, to not go back to the person that I was. And I think that that's always a big motivator for me. Mm. So I think that's really important for people to know is like, I think we all struggle with our own demons, and I think some of the most successful people you see, I really believe that success comes when you become so self-aware. I know my temptations so well in life that the only reason I'm able to be somewhat successful is because I make sure I tempt myself less, and I keep myself in less tempting situations. And I think that's the only secret, is like, you're gonna come to my house, you're not gonna see crap in the fridge, because I will eat it. Like, I will be the first person Right after Thanksgiving, I called my mother-in-law in in the morning the next day after I said, you either need to come and get all of these leftovers by 10 a.m. or I'm going to start eating them right now. Like, I will be sitting on the couch with stuffing. I just know myself (laughs) way too well. So I'll be the first person to say I'm still in the struggle. And I'm actually, for the first time in my life, this is the first year that I will say I'm so bizarrely grateful for the pain and the struggle because I know that it's what life is, is the contrast. Like too much of one emotion or one area is never good. Like it's all of it combined that makes like a really rich life. So You're, you're, you're giving meaning to the things that have happened to you. Yes. And totally. we're not even getting into some of the stories. I mean, I, yeah. I heard you talk about a story of being kidnapped mm-hmm. in Mexico, which mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about. No. I mean, who's been kidnapped in Mexico? Yeah. 
I know. Hey, well, a lot of people actually, which I learned. Nobody mm-hmm. I've met yeah. mm-hmm. until I met you. Yeah. So there are stories here, but you're giving meaning to these stories. Mm. I like what you just said that you don't put yourself in those tempting situations. Yeah. I mean, any of us, uh, those of us who are recovering drug addicts, we know we're not going to place ourselves in those situations. Yeah. We're not going to go to those neighborhoods. We're not going to hang out with those people. No. We're not going to go where there are those triggers. Mm-hmm. But that's not just. If you're trying to be drug-free, that's... Yeah. Oh, I went through a huge drinking phase when I was from 18 to 21 was just like every single night. It it was the people I was hanging around. And even through my mid-20s, it was like going from the... It's why I set a date for a fitness competition was because I didn't know how else to stop the partying on the weekend. Hmm. If I didn't have like a firm date that I could actually tell them, it's almost like we look for excuses while we're trying to transition. So it was the first time in my life that I was like, oh, I can't do that because I have a fitness competition. So I had something to tell the people. Right. Wow. <laughs> and I just clung to it. With all the movements, you know, with the, the Me Too movement and Women's March, and mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels like your message is more relevant today than it has been in, in a long time. Uh, I feel like it's, I'm so happy with the timing of all of it just because I want to also be bonding over something that is in our lives that's lasting. So not a situation, but actually who you are and where you want to go and the impact that you want to make. So I think it's a beautiful way to not just connect over, which such important, valuable moments, but not just going with your girlfriend's to the women's march in that moment but also having the afterward and what do you want to do in the conversation around it in creating deeper meaning from it and how do we have that conversation because that's where it's really going to be a lasting connection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you're amazing <laughs> i've been like on the verge of being emotional through Aww, this whole this has been so much oh. fun i just love these are my favorite this is like why Right. This is why we do what we do. Like, these are the moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is that bliss moment we're talking mm-hmm. about. <laughs> I agree. Lori, do you have a final message for our listeners? Oh, um, let me take a minute. Because um, what it always goes back to for me is just making a good day. Like, what makes you happy today? Like, what would actually make you feel a little more vital or bring you a little more joy or make you feel closer to one person today? Because... If anyone is like me listening, I can get so overwhelmed on the big picture all of the time that I do nothing. Like, I'll I'll find myself just doing nothing. So we pick up our phone again, right, to numb out, or we go to the fridge, or or we go to that friend who kind of cut it, but you don't really feel super connected to. Like, just take a moment to do one thing, or plan more like it. Plan one thing for the week that would actually make you feel more connected to yourself or someone else, and go and do that thing. Mm. And that's build upon that will create a good life. And it's such a simple answer, but it's supposed to be simple. Yeah. We make this thing so complicated. I'm always overcomplicating. And people listen <laughs> to this thinking, oh, there's a secret that they're not telling me. No. Like we're withholding something and we're not. The secret is letting go of thinking there's a secret. <laughs> I'm going to add nothing <laughs> to that. That was perfect. Thank you so much for this. This Thank you. This was so much fun. You're adorable. Oh, thank you. I had a blast. I can't wait to have you on mine. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. So fun. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much for this. Yeah. So.